What is your financial plan for the rest of your life? Or making sure you don't outlive your money. We're going to be talking about that right now on air with Myra O'Connell. Hello and welcome to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. I'm Howard Kaplan. This On Air podcast features attorneys from Myrick O'Connell, a full-service law firm with offices in Worcester, Westboro, and Boston. Today's topic, do you lose sleep trying to figure out if you have enough resources to last the rest of your life? Perhaps Myrick O'Connell elder law attorney Arthur Bergeron can help you sleep better. Arthur, welcome back to On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Oh, Howard, it's always wonderful to be back. I really enjoy doing these shows with you. Same here. Uh, and um, this is a very timely and very important topic. And so I would just start off by asking you the simple question, how do you figure out whether you have enough money to live on until you pass on for the rest of your life? Well, I guess, I guess the answer is the main thing is not to just let this worry just churn in your head all the time. You know, if, if you are worried about this, and I know... Um, many, many seniors who are because they're just trying to figure this out. My strong suggestion is sit down and do a budget. Look at your income right now and look at your expenses. Typically for my clients, the income is a fairly stable number. It's the combination of a, a pension check and maybe a social security check and for most people now, some kind of required minimum distribution that they're taking out of either their IRA or their 401k. And that's their yearly income because typically they're taking that RMD out once a year, right? And so people kind of know that and they have that in their head, but then they, they kind of don't do the other side of the equation, which is, so what are your expenses? Write them down. You know, you've got a house, so what is the mortgage? What is the mortgage interest and principal? For many of you, you don't have a mortgage at this point. But then write down the taxes, right? Figure out your t- and, and do this all on kind of a monthly basis so you can put yourself on kind of a monthly budget. Figure out the taxes, you know, divide by 12. Figure out your water and your sewer and your electricity and your gas and just estimate it. Take an annual, kind of figure it out. What is your monthly and, and what is your total? And then figure out, you know, what is your food bill? What is your insurance? And I know the insurance is one of the the more challenging pieces if you're older because typically you've got this combination of things. You have this amount that if you're if you're on traditional Medicare, then you're on Medicare A and B, and you have this amount that's being taken out of your Social Security every check to cover your your Medicare B deductible. In addition to that, most people have some kind of Medicare supplemental plan, and the purpose of the supplemental plan is that Medicare a, and especially Medicare B, there are deductibles and co-pays, and the supplement pays for the co-pays, at least to some extent. So you want to figure that out. There's actually a, you know, figure out how much monthly and how much yearly are you spending for that, right? right. Um, so just put it all together, right? And now you add all those things up, and then what are your, you know, what are your typical monthly expense for like, you know, the, for pills, right? And then for food. And you come to a number, Right. And that's kind of how you're you are right now. And chances are that is how you're going to be going for quite a while into the future. Right. Unless something bad happens. And when I say something bad, typically that means something bad with your house, because if you've got a house, that's the one thing where something bad can cost you a lot of money. You know, sure. the boiler goes, the chimney goes, something goes right. Or something bad with your health. 
that your health to some extent deteriorates, right? And therefore, you may need some additional care that isn't going to be covered by your insurance. Maybe you think in the future you may need some home care at some point. You may need some help just kind of getting around. And so once you've figured out your basic budget, now think of what those kind of big ones are. So once you've figured out the basic budget, income versus expenses, and then your question regarding your basic income versus expenses is, do you need to use your backup funds to pay for those things? Do you need to pull money out of your extra money, out of your IRA every month to pay for those things? Do you need some extra funds? Then you're going to figure all that out. And then you're going to say, okay, so like how long do you think you're going to live? Take a guess. You know, you're not going to live to 105. Well, maybe you will, you know, right. but, you know, take a guess as to how long that's going to be. So, so once you have those numbers figured out, right, and now you know what it's going to take you to kind of live in balance for some period of time, for, which is probably going to be the rest of your life. Take, you know, take a guess. Take the actuarial life expectancy of the rest of your life. You can find that on, a, on the Internet. You know, you can figure that out. Right. And then once you know that you're in balance, right, then figure out what would you do if there were an emergency, right? What would, there do, what would you do if the roof did fall off or if the boiler did blow up or if you needed some health care, right? And then how much do you have in funds to take care of that, right? And if you don't have a lot of funds in terms of just cash to take care of that, then think about do you want to ahead of time use your house as that backup vehicle, right? And, and, if, and when I say use your house as the backup vehicle, I mean, do you want to put in place either a, a home improvement line of credit, a so-called HELOC, uh, which is basically a credit card that is supported by your house. So you don't you need to use the money, but if you do, well, then you, you know it, it, there's going to be interest on it. Or do you want to do a reverse mortgage on your house, which would, would provide for the same thing? It's basically a credit card, except that when you borrow the money, you don't have to pay it back every month. The, the interest gets added to the principal every month. You know, you want to kind of figure that out, right? And figure out what your backup is in case there's an emergency. So that's the kind of thing you, you want to consider it. Put it down on paper. Sure. So this is another big question that uh, we all have, and particularly elders. How can you make sure you can stay in your house for the remainder of your life? As you say, that is a, that is a very good question. Most of my clients and most people in general want to live in their house, live and die in their house. You know, right. 80% kind of national statistics are that 80% of people want to live in their house until they die. And many people can, but if you want to live in your house, then you need to be, once again, looking forward, making sure that your house remains livable for you. I guess that's the best way of putting it. As I tell people, you can live in your house. Your house is your best alternative in general because, A, you know where everything is. You've known where everything was for like 30, 40, 50 years. You know, you're never going to forget where the bathroom is. You know, you're never going to forget where the salt and pepper are, right? So in that way, it's a very safe place to be. But you want to make sure that as you get older and as it becomes more difficult to do some things in the house, that the house remains livable for you, right? So the question would be, say you were getting older and you really wanted to stay in that house, 
but it's a two-story house. Or you've got a bunch of stairs on the front, you know, that you're going to have to get up and down and you're going to have a lot of trouble with those. Now, it may be the cost of doing those kinds of changes uh, is a predictable cost, right? And you don't have to do them way ahead of time. Once again, if the goal is to sleep well at night every night, right? The goal is to figure out what it would cost to do those things if you needed to do them, right? And then to make sure that you're being honest enough with yourself to say, when I get to a certain point where I'm having some trouble getting up and down the stairs or doing this and that, I'm going to do these things, right? You don't have to do them now, but you want to kind of know that you're going to think about this into the future that you're going to do those things. And to figure that out, don't just figure it out yourself. Call somebody. Yeah. Call. Yeah. There are any number of really good home improvement people now. Many people who actually specialize in doing home renovations and adaptations for people who are getting older, whether because they're getting older and they're more worried about falling down, especially falling down in the bathroom where you can really hurt yourself because there are some really hard surfaces in that bathroom. And so what would it cost to do the adaptations to make that bathroom safe so that maybe you don't have to like kind of crawl over the lip of the tub and so that there is something you can hold on to when you're showering or when you're done showering or whatever. So, you know, what would the cost of those things be? Even, and I'm just mentioning this because think about elevators. Now, it, when I say elevators, everybody listening is going to kind of roll their eyes and go, an elevator? You got to be kidding me, right? Fifteen years ago, that would have been the case. If I were talking about putting an elevator into your house, that would have been like a $120,000 improvement. You know, sure. it's a gigantic expense. Sure. That is no longer the case. I know of some senior communities, not around here, um, but, but in other parts of the country, where they're building townhouse units, but they're building an elevator in so hmm. that you can get access to the second floor, hmm. right? Building a standalone elevator in many traditional homes, right, depending on, you know, where you're putting the elevator, can cost, at this point, point forty or $50,000. And they can often be put in in such a way that later, if the house is being sold or whatever, they can be taken out so that this is a reversible thing. Although, once again, in the future, there are going to be a lot of people who want elevators. So this elevator may very well end up being a real improvement to your home. So figure out what kinds of improvements would be necessary for your home and then figure out what it might cost you to provide yourself with some amount of home care, right? Just kind of do some estimates. Home care right now on the private market costs about $25 an hour around. So say that you needed a couple of hours of home care uh, a day. Suppose you got to the point where you really needed somebody who was going to be like just, you know, helping you with the shower, helping you do some things. Well, it, it isn't like you're going to need 24-7 care, right? But you may get to the point where you need a few hours. Say that that's two hours a day or three hours a day five days a week, that's 15 hours, you know, and 15 hours times $25 an hour would be, that'd be about $325 a week. Right. So multiply right. that times 50 weeks, that's $15,000, you know, 
approximately, right? So now you have some sense of what it would cost you to fix up your house and what it would cost you as an ongoing matter to be staying in your house if you needed some home care. And then you look at the other side of the equation. You say, so how much do I have in extra funds? How much do I have in, in my bank account? How much do I have in my tax deferreds? And do I want to tap into the equity in my house? And that goes back to that, to that HELOC question, right? So that's the point, you know, figure it out ahead of time, figuring you don't necessarily have to spend the money now, but you want to make sure that the money is available in case you need to be starting to spend that money kind of all of a sudden. Sure. And and Howard, I'm just going to mention one other thing here, which I think is really important. People just hate taking their money out of their tax deferred funds, right? Out of their, out of their IRA or their 401k because they've got to pay taxes on. But, you know, the last thing you want to do is to be having to pull money out of those tax-deferred funds in a big, big chunk because the taxes, while the Massachusetts income tax is about 5%, no matter how much you have an income, the federal tax rates go up a lot depending on how much income you have. So that if you're married filing jointly right now, if you're making less than around $80,000 or if you made less than around $80,000 in 2020, the tax rate on that money, on that last dollar, the dollar number 80,000, right, was was only about 12%. If you made over this magic number, the tax rate on those new dollars over that, it jumped to 22%. And after that, it can be 24. It can be a lot of money. So if you're thinking about how to protect that money in the long run, what you may really want to think about and, and you know it's, it sounds counterintuitive, is don't just take the minimum distribution out of your tax-deferred money. You may want to take more than that every year, but less than the amount that would cause your income to go higher than this magic number, which, as I mentioned, in 2020 was about $80,000. If you were married, it's, it's lower if you're single. So you may want to think about pulling that money out so that you won't be faced later on with having to take it out all of a sudden and pay what is, ends up being a combined federal and Massachusetts tax rate that could exceed 30%. So the grand finale question here is, uh, Arthur, and you have touched on this a bit, is how can you use your home equity to stay in your home? You know, I've mentioned this a couple of times as we've gone through this presentation, right? But remember, if your goal is to stay in your house until you die, I know that for most seniors, they'll say, oh, you know, I really want to leave this house to my kids. And when when they say that, they really mean I really want to leave, you know, the equity to my kids. In most cases, they're not expecting their children to move in, right? What they're expecting is that the house is going to get sold and then the proceeds will get distributed. And certainly, everybody can use the money, right? But if you, if for most folks, if they talk to their kids about that, their kids will say, ma or dad, this is your house. You know, you worked really hard for it. You paid off the mortgage. It's your house. Don't worry about the house. So in that case, you know, I really strongly recommend to people take advantage of your house, allow your house, the equity in your house to give you the ability to stay in the house. And once again, there are two 
alternatives that you have for doing that. One is to get a so-called HELOC, a home equity line of credit, H-E-L-O-C or a HELOC. And you could call your bank about that, probably the same bank that gave you the first mortgage on your house. And then the second alternative is to get a reverse mortgage. The main thing to remember about a reverse mortgage is that it is in most ways exactly the same thing as that home equity line of credit as the HELOC. That is, you're getting a credit card that's secured by a mortgage. So you're not paying any interest on that credit card on the amount that you, the line of credit that you have until you've borrowed money. The only difference is if you're looking for a HELOC, you may have more trouble getting a HELOC because the banks are going to look at what your income is and whether you'd be able to pay, afford to pay on that line of credit. The reason for that is that when you borrow on the line of credit, there's actually a monthly payment that is due every month. The bank has to make sure you can pay that. If you don't, the bank can foreclose. In a reverse mortgage, you borrow the money and then every month you have the option if you want to, to pay the interest, but you don't have to. And if you don't, and most people don't, the amount of the interest simply gets added to the principal of the mortgage. And in both of those cases, my advice to people is get those set up ahead of time. Get them set up ahead of time so that you're not finding yourself when you're unhealthy and you really need the money having to run around and get all this stuff straightened out with a bank. Exactly. Like, figure it out ahead of time, right? You know, and, and then you can sleep better knowing that it's there if you need it. It's like an insurance policy. It's there if you need it. Exactly. We've been talking with Myrick O'Connell elder law attorney Arthur Bergeron on how to figure out if you have enough resources to last the rest of your life and how to stay in your house for the remainder of your life. Arthur, I want to thank you again for coming on On Air with Myrick O'Connell once again. Howard, it's always a pleasure. I enjoy your questions and I enjoy these issues. If folks have questions or concerns about this topic or any elder law issues, how can they reach you? Oh, the best thing would be to call me, 508-860-1470, or to email me at abergeron, A-B-E-R-G-E-R-O-N, at myrickoconnell.com, M-I-R-I-C-K-O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L.com. Thank you, Arthur. I'm Howard Kaplan. It's On Air with Myrick O'Connell. Take care and stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Myrick O'Connell. It is intended to inform you of developments in the law and to provide information of general interest. It is not intended to constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. This podcast may be considered advertising under the rules of the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. 